The Faculty Futures Lab is a project of the SDSU Initiative for Inclusive Leadership, a faculty-led effort to grow capacity to lead within institutions of higher education in complex and uncertain times. Funded by the President's Budget Advisory Committee. Learn more at fa.sdsu.edu. All guests speak from their own expertise and experience, not for San Diego State University. Welcome to the Faculty Futures Lab. My name is Joanna Brooks, and I'm the Associate Vice President for Faculty Advancement and Student Success at San Diego State University. Our first guest, who is not a guest, but who is my go-to right-hand um, campus psychologist, Lacey Barber, uh, who is an Associate Professor in the Department of Psychology, focusing on industrial uh, and organizational psychology. Hi, Lacey. Hi, Joanna. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And then, um, and two other guests, also women from the College of Sciences. This is a big women in sciences, women in labs day. So Assistant Professor Regis Comperda from chemistry. Regis. Hello, happy to be here. And oh, I'm so happy you're here too. And, um, and finally, last but not least, Dr. Mary Pilgrim from mathematics. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Okay. So, this conversation we're going to have today is about grad students, because as vulnerable and icky as we all feel, as concerned as we feel about our undergrads, our graduate students may be weighing on some of us even more heavily for so many reasons. Um, we are a R1 aspirational university, and we recruit doctoral and master's level students here, and we try to bring them into this profession um, in a time of great uncertainty and complexity, and boom, out of pandemic, and our um, our grad students are in an even more precarious position than they were uh, a year ago. And how does that fall on faculty? And how, to, especially, I think I'm curious about how that might impact women faculty specifically. Um, women, we, we now have a larger uh, number of women than ever running labs, STEM labs on our campus and recruiting doctoral students. And um, that's a huge advance for SDSU. Um, it also means that we're recruiting people who may have been um, brought up with some cultural assumptions about their responsibilities for caring for others and how well do those intersect with the realities of the academy. Um, so Lacey's going to solve all of our problems as per usual. How's that sound? Regis, Mary, anything I didn't capture in how you're feeling about grad students these days or how your colleagues are? You can use the, I have a friend asking on behalf of a friend. <laughs> <laughs> that broadly covers it. Yeah. There are more nuanced details, but that broadly covers it. All right then. So Lacey, you have some headlines for us based on your expertise. You study psychology in the workplace and you study how our humanity informs how we work, how our feelings you know, cross into the workspace. So I think we're having a lot of feels, not only about undergrads, but about grads. Does that make sense? Yeah. And if before going into some of the more advice things, I, I think to uh, piggyback on the things you've said, how we would translate that into uh, psychology terminology is that um, right now we're dealing with a lot of relational work. 
Um, so this is something that we, and you've probably heard that term relational work, or sometimes we also refer to it as emotional labor <laughs> in the workplace what? in terms of labor on the job. Yeah. It, you know, I don't, people don't know this about scientists, but we have emotions and feelings. Um, <laughs> and, True. and it takes work to, to manage them. And um, what, what's interesting is that in the remote environment, I'll call it the remote science environment right now, everyone is so focused on the task workload. Oh, there's so much to do, Canvas, um, getting everything you know, together. And there, there is a huge task workload. And we talk about emails and everything else. But it's not just the task. It's actually the relational work that is tanking faculty right now um, and, and graduate students. So it's managing all these emotional reactions to, um, you can't see me, I am gesturing broadly to everything. Um, and I, <laughs> all the things, you know, we, I've, I've had these discussions with our own new graduate students in our department and just acknowledging to them, like, I can't imagine coming into graduate school with this environment. You already feel there's so much to learn and out of place and they're, they're, they're scared and confused and they don't know, like, is this a normal graduate school experience or not? Like what's normal, what's not normal. And, um, and so they're just trying to tease that part and they don't have their usual socialization process. So it falls to a lot of the faculty oh, to right. help them not hanging out interpret. Like right. They're, they're not, not interacting all hours. Okay. Got it. They are, they are on, they're isolated islands. They're not even interacting yeah. with other students as much to understand what's going on. Um, I think, I think part of that challenge then is that these are very draining interactions, right? Try, trying to, I mean, cause we're essentially counseling. We're doing that relational work on part-time counseling and helping them process these emotions. And even though we're not going into full counseling, we're trying to get them to resources when we can. Um, the, the fact of the matter is we are being presented with more negative emotional reactions than we're used to, especially in a very American U.S. environment where everyone's supposed to be positive and happy a lot. And that facade is going down and we don't know how to deal with negative emotions that well. So it's becoming a lot of relational work. That's what I said. Like I tried to say, we're doing a lot of relational work. And I think as you pointed out, Joanna, that is falling uh, disproportionately on women as well, because, or if you're just an instructor who people think, uh, or faculty member people think are approachable. Yep. Or administrators. Mm -hmm. administrators and I, and I try to remind myself because you're doing all this relational work and then you step back and you're like oh my gosh why why am I getting all of this and then it clicks in your head and this is where we start feeling guilty because it clicks in your head like oh they feel psychologically safe with me they feel safe that they want to express this there are people they are not expressing this to and then of course that gets us into this guilt cycle that we need to help more too so I'm just, you know, <laughs> so, so I'm just, this is the psychological, this is just like the, the baseline psychological process I see with myself, other faculty members, you get into this, like, oh my gosh, and you want to put, so you want to put up these boundaries, but then, because for for yourself, but then you're thinking, well, who else is going to take care of them and right. who else is right. going to help? And so this is where we get stuck. We just, I see um, this is making sense to you. 
Yeah, and I also want to note that you kind of have a unique representation with uh, myself and Mary and that not only are we faculty researchers who mentor graduate students that do research work with us, but we both actually also teach um, in our department incoming new graduate students like mm-hmm. as part of our teaching load. And the socialization thing rings so true because yes. in chemistry, most students get socialized when they join a research group, but these students have not joined their research groups yet. Yeah. So right now their peer mm-hmm. group is this class. And, you know, the class has a lot of other things that it teaches, but one of the things that's coming out in talking to the students is they just appreciate the time to see each other and check in with each other above and beyond, you know, the content we're trying to get across. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. You too, Mary? Yeah. And I think the other interesting thing I've noticed with, in the math department with the graduate students that have come in is because of that role that I have with in for their professional development and teaching, I hear a lot more from both sides from them with challenges with teaching as well as challenges with them taking graduate courses. And so I have this unique insight that the other faculty don't have and how they're doing and other faculty in the department don't realize that a lot of them are just barely hanging on, they're treading water. And so I'm having to constantly you know, let my chair know to talk to faculty to check in with these students because it can't all be me all the time for one thing, but it also they, <laughs> on the other hand, they also, they, you know, other faculty aren't seeing these things. And so yeah. um, trying to get a broader support system and the other big challenging thing on top of just they're managing these emotions and these challenges They've also got two different email addresses they have to manage yes. that's the issue, two different learning management systems they have to use because some of their classes use Blackboard, some of the classes use Canvas. And so they have all these cognitive loads on top of, you know, taking classes and then the emotional impact and feeling isolated. So they are just really struggling right now. Yeah, yeah. You know, really... Um just the, the socialization dynamic um, that you've referred us to, Lacey, and that has rung so true for both Regis and Mary, you know, just has me going back to my own days in grad school in the humanities, mind you. But, you know, the idea that you're joining a vocation, there's so much you learn about how academic work gets done and the values of our profession by being around other members of our profession. And, um, and, and when that all falls to a single point of contact, like, the one who's designated to teach intro to grad studies, that that's enormous. That's enormous labor, enormous labor. And uh, Lacey, before we get to your three headlines, I would also just interject that like everyone here is STEM, but we have parallel language. For example, in digital humanities, there are scholars who talk about there is code work and there is care work, right? You're dealing with network knowledge and there's people who write the codes and then there's people who maintain all the networks of relationships that make knowledge production possible and that it is important to value care work and not invisibilize it as it is to value code work because they, they, they can't get along without each other. So we're thinking these ways in the humanities too. So Lacey, your job now is to help us all. Three headlines you have. Three bits yeah, of advice. The first one, uh, yeah. 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 The first one we have, I mean, this is going to sound familiar to you, Joanna, but I'm just going to word it in a different way because we are having some 
turbulent times here. And so I thought the, the good analogy would be to uh, put your own oxygen mask on first. <laughs> Is that <laughs> a way to say it? <laughs> um, and so this goes with our theme that I usually bring up on practicing self-care and recovery for yourself, um, because I think what gets lost in a lot of this is when we get into that relational work and helping behavior, we lose sight of sacrificing our own well-being and recovery time and boundaries for that. And so it's really important for us to you know, and, you know, improve the big three, your sleeping, eating <laughs> habits, um, and your exercise, you know, get, do what you can there to make sure you're taking care of your body. And then also like going, I, I say some of the ones I do, I go to my favorite places to feel centered. Mine is hike, you know, walks near the ocean and tacos are my happy place. And, um, on the day level, I mean, I do that on the weekends, but on the day level, make sure to like, just take, I take nature breaks, um, where I kind of go and, uh, just walk outside for a moment on the patio or something and just kind of look at greenery and blue. There's a lot of psychological research that shows us that our brain interprets, um, blue and green green uh, surroundings as refreshing and it's a way to kind of refresh especially this is related to all the zoom fatigue and I think there's a couple reasons why this is important it, it I think the obvious one is taking care of yourself gives you more energy to help take care of others that one's pretty straightforward the other one is a little bit more subtle um, the other one is it's so you can share what works for you with your students and to get those discussions going because part of good mentoring is role modeling. Uh, and one of the things we see with work-life balance issues and all this is that you, you know, you don't, I, I always say show, don't tell, right? So show, don't tell, like show, here's what, what I do. Here's some strategies I use and they're not going to see you as legitimate or being able to manage things if you aren't doing the same things and extending yourself. So, I think, you know, it conveys an important message that we're, we are struggling as well and that we're using some strategies and to help that be seen. So that's the first major one. So I just want to probe a little bit, Mary Regis, does that bring up some resistance in you or are you like, okay, I can do that? I wouldn't be surprised if it brought up a little resistance, like not me, I'm the one that worked really hard to get here and we'll keep at it. <laughs> I've been taking my weekends off. Okay. Um, Good girl. Yay. <laughs> um, and it, you know, it, at times it's hard because I'm like, I, oh, I have to get task A and B done. It's, I, there's a deadline. It's crucial. But I, I sit in Zoom for so long. I mean, yeah. we're, we're no longer um, going into work. We are now living at work. And yeah. that's the big problem. And it's too easy to look, be at home and look and go, oh, I, I should pull open that laptop and answer that email or do that thing. And I, I can't do it anymore. I go out for a run. I go out. Regis has been getting pictures from me when I'm out kayaking. I'm like, check this out. So, you know, it's um, been crucial to do that. Right. And so, and I ch try to ask the doctoral students I've been working with, as well as the master's students, are you taking breaks? Are you getting up and walking around? And just physically for our, our hips, our legs, and all those things, if we're sitting too long, that can be Mm -hmm. you know, problematic. So I've been trying, I've been trying. Mm -hmm. Regis, resistance to the break idea, resistance to the boundaries. 
I don't know if it's uh, resistance uh, so much as like, I, I know better, but can't always follow through. You know, it's very much like I, I'm happy to prioritize helping other people, but as soon as I'm asked to prioritize myself, there's some cognitive dissonance there. So hearing this idea that like, of course, you know, I would put my oxygen mask on first. Like I have to secure myself so that I can be useful so that I can be a role model. And I think that's a, a healthier mindset than just let me give everything I have to help uh, someone yeah. like not preserve anything for me. Because let me tell you, there's going to be more students every year. Every year, they will come in waves, and there's only one you. Right. And I think we've been successful, you know, with the graduate students that I I work with on a research basis, you know, having honest conversations about, you know, I wasn't as productive as I was hoping to be this week, and I'm going to give myself some grace for that. You know, I'm going to still keep the big deadlines in mind, but I'm not going to micromanage myself to the point that everything is just exhausting and impossible. Good. Good, good. Perfect. All right, Lacey, what else should we talk about? Or do you I love the way that, no, I love the way that Regis worded that because that segues so nicely into my second point, um, is being uh, transparent about your own struggles and adjustments of standards and productivity during this time. And with the caveat, there's a little asterisk there on professional. So again, like don't overburden them and, you know, give them too much information. But I think, again, one of the things I notice is our students often come to think of us as superheroes that just kind of manage and we're still productive. And it's easy to see that because they will see our past records or see, you know, one small part of what we're doing. And so we can look like machines to them in many ways. And I think telling them, you know, every conversation I've had with mentoring on students, and I, I'm in a similar role as Mary and Regis say, we, we also have kind of a special class that we, uh, where we talk about like we call how to be a grad student and things like that, where we explicitly covered socialization and transition issues. But every, you know, meeting I have is kind of acknowledging like, I know things are hard right now. And I feel like things are hard right now. And I can't imagine what life is like for you on top of it and, and telling them, look, I've been doing this stuff for 15 years. I'm teaching some of the same classes I have and I am struggling with it. And uh, this is as someone who's experienced, let alone having to learn how to teach, how to learn how to be a researcher. Um, it, it must be hard. And I've also, you know, I think it, helps us commiserate a little bit with them. Again, they can open up and they can talk about um, standards and talking about what standards we self-impose on ourselves, um, maybe what are unrealistic expectations. And I think, um, you know, one thing that I've talked through on like what standards I have let go of on the semester to get through or what things that I've prioritized and how I go about making those decisions. Again, role modeling. How am I making these decisions? And for if you're the faculty mentor um, and, you know, I talk with my own students on talking with like what, what are things they need to let go of and it's okay to let go of. And sometimes they just need your explicit permission, right? And to say, yes, it's okay that you're not making progress on this or this little progress is amazing <laughs> for, for what you're doing right now. And I think um, working with them collaboratively and then also, again, showing them that you're 
carefully considering your boundaries and your bandwidth in the current environment and asking them to do the same um, with your assistance. Mm, so being transparent about, you know, the limits each of us encounters as full-grown faculty, you know, um, and the way we've adjusted our expectations with our students. I mean, it's so, it harkens back to, I've reflected over the years on how I think a generation, certainly uh, the generation I came up at the tail end at, grad education was a form of hazing. It was absolutely a form of hazing. And part of the hazing was that the instructions were not on the outside of the box, right? Like you were expected to just pick up on it and you're all nodding your head. So I guess it extended to your time in grad school as well. Just, oh no, just suck it up and learn by watching and figure it out yourself. And, you know, and that is really good when everyone comes from the same um, privileged sociocultural location. It, it's not good when we're trying to forge a diverse community of scholars, team science that brings breadth of perspective to problem solving. So, you know, being transparent, Lacey, that's such a powerful idea about what we can actually accomplish and um, and what it takes um, really spoke to me. How about you? What do you think, Regis? I agree. Um, and I, you know, certainly have made the effort to be like, I don't want my graduate students to go through what I went through because I don't think that built character in any meaningful way to be mildly traumatized. Um, <laughs> right. But something that I'm, I'm struggling with, you know, as the mentor is I feel like we have been given some explicit structures to help us release tension, right? We are pausing tenure clocks. We're getting startup extensions. Uh, Nothing similar for a graduate student. If you're trying to be on the job market, who's going to tell them, well, it was okay. It was a COVID year. So I think they're, they're struggling with that because they're not getting the same institutional support for just take it easy. They're like, well, I don't, I can't stay another year. I don't have funding. Like I have to graduate. Right. I have to support my family. Wow. Um, and so that's been really tough to, wow. that's kind of what sparked this conversation is how do I balance giving them grace, but also saying like, I know that you've got your eyes on the prize and I want to make sure that we're getting you there, but not running you ragged in the process. Wow. That's huge. Yeah. That's huge. They don't have a pause of the job market clock. Mm-hmm. It's like go time, find salary. Are your professional yeah. orgs offering any assistance? Do you know, is there any sort of guidance in like, you know, the American Chemist Society or anything? Nothing that I have explicitly seen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a growth opportunity for the profession, isn't it? What do you think, Mary? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as Regis was speaking, I was thinking of, you know, one of our graduate students who is overwhelmed with data collection right now and, you know, is not a a single person at home, has a family that they're caring for. And so um, it seems like the old graduate school model fits for, you know, being single, you're privileged, you know, and going through the things. And so if we want to expand and diversify, we need to be thinking about going beyond those assumed, you know, people, right? You know, it's not just the young single person who can, you know, get it all done like as we did in through this hazing kind of process. Um, yeah, it's 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 been really challenging for some of our students. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and that's I mean, and this speaks to to me this uh, we run into this as well in, ter- in terms of I hear the structural barriers we run up against. And to me, though, that has dictated the nature of our conversations on what to prioritize. Um, so, you know, when you run up against those barriers, those are the things that I'm going to support them on and try to prioritize 
and fix, but then trying to figure out where there's wiggle room for grace and then explicitly. So unfortunately, I, you know, aside from doing other work that we're doing in terms of advocating for students and, um, and we have done that in our department for a few things and a few wins for other considerations and making these issues known, but um, in the short term, yeah, I, I've even thought of ways, and, and to me, uh, even thinking, I, I have the luxury of doing this in my career as a mid-career person, but even down to like, I know data collection is rough and that's going to impede your progress on this. So um, instead, you're going to be using archival data for some of these things, and I will donate data to you and help you mm-hmm. in that way. Nice. And that has been an effective way to manage that while also working on their own research and strategies that we know it's going to be a while for data collection or to do that, but at least they feel like they aren't impeded from their main milestones. And again, not everyone has those access, but it is one of those things as a faculty member, you can reflect on, are these some things, you know, and I guess this goes back to the old school graduate mindset, like, can I be flexible on what this kind of project represents and what are Mm -hmm. the main objectives of a thesis project or a dissertation project and how can they still uh, meet those objectives and still support their career in other ways during this tough time? Mm -hmm. That's what I find with administrative decisions and issues. Like, I find myself going back, back, what are our core values? What did the AAUP say about this issue 50 years ago that we need to preserve to still be true in this context, what can be let go, you know, and it sounds to me like some of those are discussions that um, probably need to be had at a department of programmatic level, like our departments and programs um, expanding the range or investing in a broader range of culminating projects, you know, our archival data sets that exist throughout, you know, the university being made available to students. So it doesn't just depend on having um, awesome Regis as your advisor, you know? So um, yeah, that's fascinating. Okay, okay, good stuff. Third tip, you already gave us so much, Lacey. Third one, I, I feel like I'm circling around to some of our discussion, which it might be a nice endpoint um, with this. <laughs> My third one is share and compare support responsibility. So I think, um, and I think we, we have some, some good folks here that can speak to that because actually my department, it sounds like there's, um, we do have some support system already baked in with our coursework on, on how we do this, which I'll get back to in a moment. But I think when I hear from a lot of faculty who are struggling with mentoring right now, it seems to fall primarily on them. They are the only student's support system. That's the only person that the the student has as their faculty mentor. And the problem is when, again, when you have uh, faculty who genuinely care about this new model of mentoring, you feel like all of that support falls to you. And so, you know, there's other things you need to do is sharing it, even simple things like directing them to the appropriate counseling resources, wellness resources, things like that. So sharing that more broadly when you know that you've hit your competence level that, you know, I, I can have some of these discussions, but at a certain point, if there's a lot of struggles, like I'm not the professional for that. There are trained professionals mm-hmm. for this. But then I think the other part 
that's really important with sharing and the and this is to get you to comparing is be vocal about this with other faculty members with your chair with leadership because this otherwise is invisible work that gets done by a disproportionate amount of faculty i think again what mary noted I deal with the same thing because we, I, in my, I'm in a graduate advisor role where, you know, a lot of faculty members don't know about these things or aren't uh, providing support and they don't know the support that other people are providing for their students. They don't recognize that in the interactions that we're having. And so this goes back to another aspect of transparency is at the department level and at the college level on up, we have to shine light on who's doing this important work right. and, and appropriately allocating work, assigned time things for it. So one of the strategy, and it has to be structural. So, you know, one of the mm-hmm. things we have three faculty members in this role in our department who teach this year long one credit class um, called research orientation, and it's not about doing. And it, it, I love that it's called research orientation because it's not a research methods class. It's a how to be a researcher and how to manage time management, mentor relationships, and so every single student in our program, graduate student in our program, not only has a faculty mentor, they have a graduate advisor. We are a backup support system, and we get assigned time for that. Like we, that is part of our teaching responsibilities. And to be fair, it is a teaching responsibility. It is a huge teaching responsibility. But, um, and I, I, we have people, we enjoy that work. Um, it is especially challenging right now in the current environment, but I can't imagine what our department would look like without this right now and how much our students would be hurting because we're already doing the things that Mary said, like we're seeing this across the whole department and we're sending out departmental messages like, hey, check in on your graduate students. They are struggling right now. Um, Here, you know, being very specific, like don't just ask how they're doing in big lab meetings, like have an individual well-being check-in with them, 30 minutes, how are you doing? Um, You know, giving advice, we're giving other resources. I've sent out resources on how to, um, like I just said, how to rethink what your thesis objectives are and how to restructure that. And I I have a whole, here's how you provide instrumental support, uh, social support, like all these types of support um, that people might not be trained or familiar with. And we're only able to do this through having that structural support system that I think every department needs for their students. And I think to have that system, there's an additional component that's necessary, and that is you've got to have faculty buy-in, right, and stakeholder Mm -hmm. buy-in that values such a structure to then be able to implement a structure because you want people to be able to, you want those people that say, yeah, I want to do that role for a couple of years, or, you know, you don't want just the same three people necessarily for 10 years doing those things with the same two people. You want everyone to be involved and engaged. And I think that will also help build community within the department. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Regis, your thoughts? Yeah, I would say like, I'm also very glad and proud to be in a department that thought a long time ago, like we need to have this introduction to being a graduate student class. And for me as the 
chem education researcher in the department, it dovetails really nicely with my research interests. I'm working with a doctoral student who's doing a dissertation on graduate student identity. So I've been able to bring, I think, a lot of resources to that course that my colleagues don't have access to because the point I was going to make is training to be a mentor is not part of our professionalization, right? Right. Absolutely. I would love to see more, you know, department level, college level, university level, like don't know how to talk to your graduate students. That's fine. Like you were never trained to do it. Like, let's talk about how to do that. And, you know, helping us that like kind of transparency of talking to each other. Like I know Mary and I talk a lot about this emotional workload and I talk to some of my colleagues in chemistry, but I don't know that like the department as a whole has ever thought about well, who's doing a lot of emotional labor in the department? Like, is it really, you know, grad students to advisors? Are all of the grad students circling around a handful of advisors they know are really open to that? And I think that sort of transparency, along with the tools to help redirect the students maybe to more appropriate places, um, would be really nice to see. Well, that sounds like a future episode, like where we do that kind of in-service professional development Mm -hmm. in a robustly accessible way. Like, because you're right, we don't learn how to... I was never in a how to mentor graduate seminar. And so I've brought to all of my work, including work in administration, skills I learned um, as an organizer in various social movements, things I learned as a big sister, things I learned as a parent, things I learned as a literature scholar, you know, like all these other parts of my life um, informed the way I mentor and man, I could use formation always. I can use support and improvement, you know, always. We, we all can. And there, we may have colleagues who, because of gender disparities in the way we're all raised in the U.S., you know, it never crosses their mind that there would be relational labor, right? It might, we may have some senior colleagues who are very mm-hmm. transactional. I mean, I've worked with some fantastic, my mentors were men and they were really, really, really kind and good people who were not transactional mentors, but that's not the case for everybody. And when, when we have senior colleagues who are checked out or don't go beyond the transactional, it does fall. It does fall to women. And I wouldn't be a good feminist if I didn't observe it falls to women of color very, very heavily and, and men of color colleagues too. So it sounds like we need to have more conversation about that, right? That was your point, Lacey. Compare and share, share and compare who's doing the work, what the work actually entails. And I think tied yeah. to that also, oh, sorry. Oh, oh. oh go ahead. I was going to say, I think tied to that also are the assumptions that faculty make of what graduate students know coming in. I think that impacts mm-hmm. much there. Well, like, what do they know about professional organizations or conference presentations or like authorship, um, IRB? All those sorts of things that there's all kinds of many, you know, many things that fold into our research and the work we do. And what assumptions do we make that graduate students know when they come in about those things? Yeah. Oh, that's huge, too. Lacey, you had some thoughts? Yeah. And I was thinking, you know, again, if if we could design the organization exactly how an organizational psychologist would want, um, obviously, the first the first step the, the, it's not the easiest step, but yeah, every every mentor comes in with training or you have to go through training before you even get a graduate student. You have to go through <laughs> these things. Yeah. And, and, and you're explicitly more so evaluated on this. And let me tell uh-huh. you where, where this falls apart. So let's, let's do a little workload experiment here. So um, I don't know how departmental workloads are, but we, we get a certain amount of assigned time for mentoring. 
And, um, and so let's say we get basically one class worth that if I have three or four, if I, so I have, let's say I have four graduate students in my lab and Mary has four graduate students in her lab. Um, and we say, yeah, they're doing these projects and we put down those activities. Mary and I have the exact same workload in the eyes of the administration. But if I'm a neglectful mentor who, yes, I have four students, but I rarely meet with them. They're on their own with projects. Maybe they're even going to Mary for help because I'm not helpful. Um, whereas Mary is- That never happens. What are you talking weekly, about? <laughs> Mary's having weekly to bi-weekly meetings with her students. She's also, you know, giving them, having these extra conversations. That shows up nowhere nowhere yeah. in our, our workload. And, and I think, I think that, again, this is a, um, to me, this is a classic measurement problem from workload. Like we're, we're, we aren't even measuring workload the same. We're missing a huge amount of an important workload for those, that those students success. And again, because people focus so much on the numbers, you have X amount of students and not the work you're doing. And some of this stuff is, is so, laughably simple to fix. Like we could see a difference between if I just had a, um, and I could like produce one to you, I can show you my lab manuals where that I could show you my reading list. I can show you my meeting schedule with my, my students. It's not hard for me to produce these artifacts or documents along with that to show that I'm I'm mentoring, like I'm doing a lot of activities. I have products that I produced on, on helping them um, with different aspects of the process and these ongoing discussions. And again, like that's measurable, but because it's not one number, we have four students each and we compare, a lot of times we don't have that, but it's like, hey, we turn in syllabi for our classes. Why not turn in syllabi? Bye for our mentoring. Well, you should certainly include them in your RTP files. You should certainly include your <laughs> RTP documentation. Like if you're an excellent mentor and lab leader and you have that developed apparatus, they, should, they, they, they do count under the terms of the university policy file criteria for RTP. They can count as evidence of your teaching um, and you should include them. But I hear you and you already have my brain going about ways to do this better. So thank you for surfacing this. For sure. Um, final thoughts. Final thoughts. Uh, put your own mask on. Be transparent about your own limits and also engage more transparency from your unit um, about the work of the care work of academia, not just the code work. Mary, what are you going to take away from today? I'm thinking about my department colleagues and reaching out to some and just saying, hey, can you check on the grad students you interact with? Maybe kind of instead of me always doing that, maybe kind of ah. starting to, instead, you know, maybe starting to collaborate with some of my colleagues who, you know, could also do that and be, maybe step into that role at least, you know, in some small way. Oh, I like that. Yeah, Regis. Um, I'm really liking this idea of shining light on things and counting and valuing mentoring in the same way. And I can think of some colleagues in my department that I knew would do an amazing job and I don't want to give them more work. Um, but I think maybe trying to facilitate a department level conversation about 
who is doing a good job mentoring? Like what structures do you have in place? Um, you know, are there things you can share? I don't want you to have to give a whole presentation to us, but you know, help us, help us see who's doing a good job and help us learn from that and let those people get rewarded and valued for, for doing this part of their job that has been so invisible for so long. Oh yeah. Good stuff. Lacey, final thoughts. I don't know. I had a lot of thoughts. <laughs> I always do. I guess um, I'm just going to do the common theme that I know I started very individual focus and like to end with structural focus, but I, this, this doesn't change unless we hit these structural issues. And that's where the transparency, the discussions, the documentation, the rewarding, the valuing, like yeah. this is what makes for a psychologically healthy workplace. Yes. Yeah accountability and sharing. And again, like, and I think what's, I guess if I had to add an additional thought, faculty don't have to engage in this relational work equally. There can be some faculty who don't feel comfortable with this, don't feel good about this, don't, it doesn't, it doesn't spark joy for them. And we, and we get that. And that's, and that's okay. Like there's room for that variation in departments, but you have to reward the people who are doing it and acknowledge that workload. And I think, again, what makes for a healthy department, a healthy organization, is these diversity of interests and skills and values that people bring to the table. That diversity only works if we also value what different ways people are contributing equally. So, and I should say on the equity point, right? So you don't have to do equal work. You can be doing different types of work based on your particular talents, but we do need to reward everyone for the work that they're doing. And right now that's not getting rewarded. So let's mm. change that. Mm. Wow. Powerful, powerful stuff. Thank you so much, Dr. Lacey Barber, Dr. Regis Comparta, Dr. Mary Pogren. I am I'm so glad you're my colleagues and I'm so glad you're here in our labs with our grad students. Um, doing this work. So please know if you choose to speak up in your local settings that, you know, there'll be a lot of support because this is important. This is real important. Mm 